even when we don't see your goodness, we believe in your goodness. And we ask that you would make your goodness our goodness too, that you would make us like you, that you would shape us to be like you. That's our prayer, Lord God. That's why we gather in this place or wherever we are, watching now, streaming live, watching recording. We believe that you are with us in this gathering. We believe that you are with us in this space where each one of us is. And we adore you, Lord, and we worship you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you to the worship team for your uh, extraordinary commitment to leading us in worship of the Lord. And we, we honor the Lord as we uh, thank him for you and for your service. Well, greetings, everyone. You may be seated. Uh, I am Pastor Courtney Hall of Praise Christian Fellowship. For any that are joining us today as guests, you are most welcome. Want to uh, add my greeting to uh, Pastor Henges at the start of the service and saying a happy Independence Day weekend to you, a happy 4th of July. Of course, here in the United States, we are celebrating the birthday of our uh, nation. So happy birthday to the U.S. We are also celebrating not just the birthday of the U.S., but the ideas of the U.S., ideas and ideals of freedom, of liberty, of equality. And it's, it's beyond uh, denial that the United States as a nation has not always lived up to those ideals. We recognize that. We grieve over that. We work towards that end. That was always the enterprise of this nation, was to work towards greater freedom, greater equality. And certainly that is the charge and the call to us today. So as we celebrate Independence Day weekend, we also highly resolve ourselves towards that purpose. I want to reference, in fact, today, one of the, the great moments in American history, and it comes in one of the hardest moments of American history. It's the Gettysburg Address by President Abraham Lincoln, arguably our greatest president to date. Certainly, there are many that would feel that way, and he is unquestionably one of the heroes of American history. But I really feel that Abraham Lincoln is one of the heroes of human history. A genius, a God-given genius in that man, I dare say. Uh, and a person of extraordinary resolve and commitment to the highest ideals of, of, of uh, human endeavor. Of uh, wise and righteous and honest government by the people, of the people, for the people. Somebody who called the people to what he himself termed the better angels of our nature. In other words, there is something about the testimony of Abraham Lincoln, and I would say the testimony of the United States in its ideals that is not limited to this nation, but is a call to all nations and to all people that we should all rouse ourselves to to behave in a manner, to live in a manner, and govern in a manner according to the better angels of our nature, to the best that God has for us. And that includes liberty and equality and justice for all. Ideals that we haven't always attained, but which we have always valued, and which even today we, see, we say those are the values that we see in the kingdom of God as well. In the Gettysburg Address, Lincoln was gathered on a battlefield 
to dedicate it, to consecrate it. It was a Civil War battlefield. It's well known that Lincoln presided over the nation during its era of civil war, of the American Civil War of the 1860s uh, between the North and the South. The nation was being ripped apart. The sin and grievous horror of slavery was uh, being battled over to the point of bloodshed and death. And the very uh, destiny of the nation was in the balance. Many people living at that time didn't really believe that the United States could sustain. Many people living today and now might question whether the United States can sustain. And I will say to you that in my opinion, the United States cannot sustain unless you and I would dedicate ourselves to those same ideals of freedom, of liberty, of equality, of justice, and the better angels of our nature, which means that we would turn our face to God, that we would seek the Lord, and that we would also pray for the grace of God upon every nation of the earth. Because the United States was not founded to be an empire dictating to the rest of the world its own terms and grabbing the rest of the world for its own coffers, but rather it was intended to be, and I say again, it would be, to my thinking, the ideal of the American dream to consider that we would be a nation to which other nations could look and say, we see there a kind of freedom that we also desire here. We see there a kind of commitment to rightness and righteousness that we also commit to here. But in the midst of the moment of the Civil War, that was in question. And we today have our own conflicts raging. We have our own social um, uh, strife going on. We are facing a pandemic. We are facing an economic crisis. We are facing so many different uh, ways in which in this moment, in this nation and in nations around the world, we may feel very much that the future is in question. And I want to remind us of this moment when Lincoln stood on that battlefield and recognized that there was still something to aspire to, that ideals and values, even when they have been fallen short of, still stand tall, and to lift them up in front of others and say, let us continue to commit to that and to aspire to that is a worthy thing, is an altogether right and fitting thing. And I believe that it is even a divine thing, that it is breathed of God, that God calls us not to give up hope and not to simply fixate on where we are wrong, but also to concentrate on how we might be made right, how we might commit ourselves to the benefit of others and the bettering of the nation. That famous speech of Lincoln's concluded with these words, we highly resolve that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Will you say that phrase with me? A new birth of freedom. A new birth of freedom. We are beginning in just a few moments a new sermon series on the book of Joshua. It's a continuation from the sermon series that we began last year. You may remember, if you're part of the congregation, that we worked our way through the first half, the first 12 chapters of the book of Joshua last year. And now we are going to begin a series today that will take us through the concluding 12 chapters, the last half of the book of Joshua. And that's really what made me think of this verse, although 
the fact that this is being uh, given on Independence Day weekend makes me all the more aware of how fitting this quote is, I believe, to our subject today. But it is true to say that the book of Joshua is itself a description of a kind of new birth of freedom, a new national birth of Israel, a new generation entering into the promises. I've said before, and I still feel this in my heart, I believe the Lord has said it to me and to us, that we are a Joshua generation in this sense, that we are called to see the opportunity in this moment for new birth, new freedom, and also a charge to commit ourselves, recognizing that the costs may be great, but the rewards are even greater as we enter into promise, as we enter into harvest, as we enter into the things that God has for us in the future. We enter with hope and with resolution, with commitment, recognizing the covenant promise of God, a new birth of life and of freedom. And so again, Lincoln's words echo for us, a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. We sustain by God's grace. Lord God, shed your grace upon this nation and upon every nation on the face of the earth that prizes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, freedom, justice, equality, and government by and for the people. Amen. Well, I want to share with you just a few remarks regarding uh, um, events uh, that are part of the body life of our church. Uh, as you are well aware, we have our weekly gatherings here on Sunday mornings. We are uh, um, keeping close monitor on the news, and I know that the news is rough right now, especially here in Los Angeles County, as infection rates continue to be a concern and a problem. Let's continue to pray. Don't pull back or give up in praying. Don't don't give in to the lie of the enemy that says if you're not seeing the immediate results, then your prayer doesn't matter or your prayer doesn't work. Remember the word of the Lord who said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. Because as you ask, seek, and knock, the Lord answers. He opens. He provides. So we're believing for healing and we're believing for a turnaround in this pandemic as we pray. But we're also monitoring and watching and in that vein, if there are changes, we will, of course, uh, alert you. But at this time, our plan is to continue throughout this month with meetings here in limited numbers with masks and distancing and, uh, of course, always broadcasting our service on Sundays and continuing with our Zoom midweek meetings. So on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., if you can be with us, we have a Zoom meeting. You can get the login details on our website and uh, on our Facebook page, and we look forward to having you participate with us if you can. If you can't be part of that uh, meeting at that time, wherever you're at, if you're at work or something, you can pray, and your prayer is part of that power. We're continuing to lift up prayer on a regular basis, daily, nightly at 7 p.m. if you can, uh, for a turnaround with COVID. And we are excited that this week we have our virtual vacation Bible school. So uh, many of you have already received uh, information about this. If you've already uh, registered, um, then you uh, have probably already gotten updates from Pastor Rochelle and the team. 
but you know that our VBS is entirely online. I want to say thank you to the VBS workers who are making that possible. And right now, Lord, we ask that you would bless that event, bless every child and every family and every worker that is part of it. We ask your blessing upon Pastor Rochelle and the entire team, and that it would be a time, Lord, of learning, of fun, and a memorable time of connection online. Amen. So if you want more details about that, you can go online to mypcf.org and check out the Kids Corner. There are goodie bags that are being distributed by the team, so you don't even have to leave your home. The team will make sure that you get that if you and your child are registered. And uh, it will be starting this Friday and continuing through Sunday the 12th. I believe that it's about an hour a day that is the online portion. I'm if I've got that right. I may be slightly right uh, off on the timeline, but you can get all the information online or you can contact the church. By the way, speaking of online uh, offerings, our PSOM class will not take place today. So no class today due to the, uh, the holiday weekend, but we will be back next week on July 12th at 1 p.m. And I'll be sending out information to all the class members on how to log into Zoom for that. So hallelujah, praise the Lord. There are Still great things ahead. As I mentioned, we're starting a sermon series today, and we're going to do some review today. We're going to go press further into the second part of Joshua next week. And then we have some guest preachers coming up uh, this, uh, this month that I know uh, you're going to be delighted to hear from, and I'm looking forward to that before we come back to uh, continue on in the Joshua series in August. So uh, Pastor Ron Younger, one of our youth pastors, is going to be preaching in the latter half of the month. And uh, uh, Pastor Emmanuel Medeja, Pastor Leo, uh, our dear brother and beloved leader of PCF of the Valley, will be preaching on July 26th. So you can be looking forward to those messages as I am. Now let's turn to the word of the Lord for us today. By the way, um, I guess I should give you a moment to do this. We do collect an offering when we gather. So if you would like to put your offering into the plate, you can do so. There are plates around the room. If you're watching with us online and you're watching a recording, you want to pause and go and give online, you can do that. Uh, there is a give page. There's a donate button at mypcf.org. If you click on give and you can uh, click on that donate button and you can uh, give an offering online, it's secure and safe. You can choose the amount and you can... Um, Make it a recurring gift if you like, or you can mail in your check made out to PCF, Praise Christian Fellowship, uh, and send that to our church offices at 2235 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90057. We are so grateful for your giving, and we thank you, Lord, that you give us resource from which we can give back to you. We bring into your storehouse, Lord, that your will would be fulfilled through these gifts, through this offering. And we ask that you would not only multiply what is given and multiply the kingdom work of this body that we call your church in this locality, but that you would also multiply back to those who have given in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. By the way, if you didn't have a chance to give and you want to drop that in the, uh, in the plate as you leave today, that's fine too. So thank you and bless you for that. We will be partaking of communion here in the sanctuary. We have individually packaged communion so that it can be safe. You don't need to be concerned about contamination because this is prepackaged and hasn't been touched by hands here other than uh, in the uh, outer packaging that you can remove. At home, if you have communion supplies available with you, then uh, you may want to begin to prepare those now. If you don't have any communion supplies with you, that's okay. But if you've got a cracker and some juice, that is something that you can pray over and consecrate 
And the Lord himself, by his spirit, will honor and acknowledge that as your participation in today's communion. If you don't have those supplies, then just bring your prayer when we pray at that time in the service towards our conclusion. And your prayer will be your participation. And the Lord will honor that as well. So now, coming to the word of the Lord, I ask you to turn to the book of Joshua with me. Joshua is the first book of the Bible following the Pentateuch, or what is sometimes called the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. So if you go past Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you'll be there at the book of Joshua. And today we are actually going to look once again at the first half of the book of Joshua. As I mentioned, my title for this uh, iteration of our Joshua series is A New Beginning. Last year when we looked at chapters 1 through 12, we talked about us being the Joshua generation. That is a generation being called to enter into the promises of the Lord in a fresh new season. And as I mentioned, the book of Joshua is itself all about new beginnings. In fact, one of the things that we're going to look at today is how God reveals himself as a God of second chances in the book of Joshua, and indeed a God of new beginnings. Jesus Christ himself called us to be born again. So new beginning is what our faith is really all about. But I also want to say that in this season of time, as we come here to the middle of this year, 2020, which, as I mentioned, has been such a very challenging and difficult year, I believe the Lord knew, well, of course, He knew that we would be at this point when we came to this series of messages. And He intended that you and I would be made aware that despite any hardship that we are facing and every challenge that is occurring, God is saying, in the midst of this is the opportunity for a new beginning, a fresh start, a renewal of your faith, of your hope, of your energy. Will you lean into that promise today? Will you lay hold of it? It requires faith from you. It doesn't come to you on a silver platter, per se. It comes with a request from God, with a command from God. Believe this. Believe it so much that you'll step out on it, that you'll stand upon it, and don't be afraid. Now, why would the Lord say, fear not, unless he knew that it was fearful? Why would he say that unless he knew that the command that he was making of us to enter into promises would also involve entering into challenges, and that it also involves things that frighten us, that frustrate us? And that may make us feel weak or unready. And that is why the Lord says, I am here with you. And I say, don't be afraid. But I also say, don't forget my word. Don't forget this book of the law. Don't forget my ways. But instead, meditate on them day and night. And as you do so, you'll have a new beginning. A new birth of faith. A new birth of hope a new birth of freedom. Shimon Perez is one of the most uh, celebrated politicians of recent history. He was uh, multiple times the prime minister of Israel and also served as Israel's ninth president. He's passed on now, 
But from the time that he entered the Knesset, which is Israel's legislative body, through the uh, conclusion of his presidency, he served in public office in Israel virtually unbroken for over 50 years. An extraordinary testimony of public service and of admirable leadership. In fact, he was one of the co-recipients, I believe 1994, of the Nobel Peace Prize. And so, as someone with obviously an illustrious career and extraordinary achievements at a national and international level, Shimon Peres was someone who was often asked, what is, out of the many things that you have achieved, the greatest of your achievements? What is the single greatest achievement of your life? And in answering that, Shimon has made reference to someone else, to another achiever, to an artist named Mordecai Ardon, who was known for having painted many, many, many beautiful, extraordinary paintings, extraordinary works of art. And when Mordecai Ardon would be asked by interviewers or fans which of his pictures he felt to be most beautiful that he had ever painted, he would reply, the picture I will paint tomorrow. In other words, for all of his accomplishments, he was looking ahead. He was looking to the new. He was looking to the horizon, to what's next. I think that it's fair to say that Shimon Perez, in quoting that and acknowledging that that was his answer too, that what he was most excited about in terms of his achievements what is, was what he might achieve tomorrow, indicates that Shimon Perez was also someone who was looking to the promise of the Lord, who was looking to what God has to come next, not forgetting what is behind, but pressing forward to what lies ahead. And I think in that, is a lesson for all of us. A lesson about how we are to live our lives, looking towards what comes next and what we can do to make the world a better place in the Lord. That's part of our attitude as the Joshua generation. And it's a central point of my comments with you today. Let's pray as we open the word. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our new birth, you are our new hope. You are our sure reward. We come to you today because we love you and we need you. We come to the word birthed by your Holy Spirit, breathed by you, Almighty God. And we ask that by your same spirit, you would open that word to us and open us to that word. Implant it deeply within us, Lord, like a seed. Not just the language of the text, not just the structure of the lessons, but the spirit of your life. Live in us, Lord, that we might live in you and walk in your ways as we receive your word today. Amen. I'm going to compress over the next several minutes 12 sermons. So... You can start laying bets on how far I'm going to get right now. But I believe we'll get through the whole thing. You're going to get a lot of material. If you're here in the sanctuary, you've got a, a bulletin in front of you, and then it's got some blank spaces. I did this as, as your friend. I want to help you to stay awake during my remarks. So when you have something to do, you've got some words you've got to grab that'll help you. 
I, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but if at home you'd like this, it's on our website. You can go to the events page and download it later if you like as a PDF, and you can look at it as well. My teaching slides are there as well. So if you uh, want to look at those again later, you can download them. They'll be up there uh, as we move forward this week as well, and you can, uh, you can use those as a reference. I mention that because we're going to go through a lot of material together. It's not so important that you memorize it all. I don't expect that or even want you to try and do that. Hopefully, a lot of this is refresher. But if you say, well, I wasn't part of this series when you were preaching last week, Pastor Court, last year, I should say. Uh, I want you to know that's part of why we're doing this review, so that everybody will be up to speed. But I also found it personally really valuable as I was going back and looking at what we shared together last year. I found that there were a lot of these lessons that suddenly took on new relevance for me in these days. And I kind of liked the fact that the Lord was teaching us and showing us these things a year ago in part to prepare us for where we are now so that we could be ready for what we are walking through now. So I invite you to consider with me these lessons and the review of the book of Joshua in a general way in the context of where you're at today, what you're facing today. Don't let it just be a history lesson about Joshua of the past. Let it be something that you treasure as a pertinent, relevant, applicable set of information for today. So let's take a look together at the book of Joshua. And as we do so, I want to speak about some of the, the general themes that we find throughout the entire book. Because as I mentioned, following today's message, we are going to move into the latter half of Joshua. And many of these themes continue to be present and relevant in that section. You may remember that the primary uh, material described in the first half of Joshua especially is about transition. The generation of Moses has died. Not only Moses the leader has died, but all of the adults of that generation have passed away except for two who were faithful. Joshua, who we will talk more about today, and Caleb, two of the lieutenants, if you will, of Moses who were also part of the spies that Moses sent into the promised land of Canaan. You remember that Moses led the children of Israel out of enslavement in Egypt and towards the promised land of Canaan, but they had to go through a wilderness on the way. And during that passage, the children of Israel, disobedient as humans are wont to be, as you and I have often been towards the Lord as well, in their disobedience, extended their time in that desert for 40 years. And the Lord said, that generation will pass away and a new generation will be brought up for a new beginning. But Joshua and Caleb, because they kept faith in me, I will keep faith with them and lead them into the promised land and make them leaders of those that go into the promised land and particularly Joshua. So it's a transition from place from desert into promised land. It's a transition of leaders from Moses to Joshua. And it's a transition of generations. From the generation that came out of Egypt to the generation that enters into the promise. Here at PCF, we've been in a transitional phase in these years too. And I think the United States is in a transitional phase right now. In fact, I would say the world is in a transitional phase this year because we are moving from one era to another. 
This pandemic, this global crisis will be in our lifespans most likely a dividing point, a time that will not be forgotten and people will think of it as before then and after then. So we also are in a time of transition. We also are in a time of occupation. In other words, where God has issued promises to us and is saying, now it's your part. I've made the promise and I've made the provision. Now you, by faith, occupy the promise. Lay hold of it. Enter into it. And in order to do that, you and I must be obedient. Just as God called the Joshua generation to obey his word in order to occupy the promised land. So, transition from Moses to Joshua generation. The occupation that they've been called to do is to conquer and claim the promised land and to obey the Lord by trusting in his promises and meditating on his word. In this, we have God's past faithfulness on display for this new generation. They are not to forget what God has already done, but they're not to dwell in the past, but rather to occupy this present moment with faith and press into the future with expectation. That the painting that they'll paint tomorrow, that the victory that they'll achieve tomorrow is even greater than what was done yesterday because God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, has made a promise, and his promise is his perpetual presence. In this, there's actions for them to take. They are encouraged by the word of the Lord and by their leadership in Joshua to take certain actions that will carry forward or carry them forward in this charge. One is looking at the history, at God's past faithfulness. They are to remember what God has done. Will you say that? Remember what God has done. If you and I are to walk in faith today, we have to remember what God has done for us yesterday. We have to remember how he has healed us before, how he has delivered us before, how he has provided for us before. We cannot forget his past faithfulness if we are to lay hold of his present promise because the history of the Lord is pivotal to our heritage in the Lord. And so the second action that we are encouraged is to enter boldly into where God is called. God is calling you personally into a promise today. Right now, in the dead middle of this devastating time, in times of division and strife, in times of confusion and injustice, in times of disease and death, God is saying, I'm here with you speaking a promise. And the promises of life and the promises of wholeness. Now the promise is not that everything will be good and easy. The promise is that if you will have faith to enter boldly into what God has called you to do and to be, God in his faithfulness will fulfill your hope and he will make himself worthy of your dependence. He will show himself worthy, I should say, of your dependence. You and I are to depend upon God, and God is dependable. He will help us. These lessons from the Joshua generation are lessons for you and I today. There's two major components to the book. 
The conquest of the Canaanites is the first 12 chapters. And then the second half, which is what you and I will be pressing into in this series in the weeks and months ahead, which is the apportionment of the lands. But today I want to review in our minds what happened in Joshua chapters 1 through 12 as they made conquest. Now, in many commentaries on the book of Joshua, you will see the book broken into three parts. And that's because the final chapters, the last two chapters, chapter 23 and 24, kind of stand as their own section. It's Joshua's concluding sermon, if you will, to the children of Israel. We will look at that in the conclusion of this series when we come to it. And it will be part of our second half, our new beginning in the book of Joshua. Let's look at the conquest of Canaan that occurs in the first 12 chapters. Here on the screen is a map of ancient Israel, which corresponds to the same region that is modern Israel today. You can see the Dead Sea in the south, the Sea of Galilee to the north, and of course the Jordan River runs along this rift valley that forms a, um, an eastern uh, boundary uh, to uh, Israel at that time. The western boundary being another larger body of water, the Mediterranean, of course. We will talk more about the nature and geology of Israel in this series because the land is important. And let me say something. God, who is a living spirit, who calls us to look with spiritual eyes and not fleshly eyes, who calls us to live according to heavenly values and not earthly values, is nevertheless also a God who created things in flesh and blood, in soil and water. In other words, he's the God of physical creation and he values the physical world. It's his creation. He calls it good. When you and I partake of this communion table in just a few minutes, we are partaking of something physically, physical elements that we are literally consuming into our physical body. And I believe there's a physical result that God brings about from that, as well as a spiritual one. God is not one who says that the physical doesn't matter. God is not one who says that because the spiritual is real, and eternally valuable that the physical isn't valuable. Rather, God is the one who helps us see how these things connect. God cares about the land of Israel, and he calls us to care about it too. And I say this not only so that you and I would continue to pray for Israel today, to pray for its peace, to pray for its people, not just the Jewish people of Israel, although the Lord knows we pray for them, but for Christians that live in Israel, for Muslims that live in Israel, for people of all kinds of belief systems and no belief systems, for atheists that live in Israel, for Arabs and Palestinians, for all people that live in that land, because that land is precious to the Lord. His promises about it are eternal. His promises to his covenant people of Israel are eternal. His promises to you and I are eternal. In order for us to recognize the reality of any of those components, we need to affirm the reality of all of them. But I also mention the significance of the fact that God cares about physicality because it is part and parcel of our recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord. The incarnation is the uttermost expression of how much God values flesh and blood, how much God values this living earth. He came to this earth of land and water, of beasts and birds of the air. He came to this earth that is in spiritual disarray and he came as a human being of flesh and blood 
for us. It's important to recognize that not only so that you and I would be able to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, but also to recognize that he fully relates to where you're at, to your struggles, the material struggles of life. If you're dealing with illness right now, heaven forbid, if you're dealing with COVID right now, God knows, God cares, and God can touch you with healing. Or any physical ailment, whether it's a chronic condition or a current situation. If you're dealing with things that are part of the natural uh, life in this body, emotional and, and physical hardships of strain, of worry, of anxiety, of depression, God knows, God cares, and God can touch. God can heal. If you're dealing with financial resource problems, if you're lacking a job, if you're lacking sustenance, God knows, God cares, and God will help. So the physical world matters to God, and your physical reality matters to God. The land of Israel matters to God, and he called the people to enter into that land. In order to do so, they had to take it piece by piece. The central campaign led them into Israel by crossing what we now know of as Israel or into what was then uh, Canaan by crossing over that Jordan River. And then they engaged in battles in the south in order to achieve victories that would give them uh, ownership of that land and then ultimately a northern campaign in the last two chapters of this first half of the book. Let's take a moment to talk about Joshua, who he was and why he matters to us. I've already mentioned that he was a lieutenant, an attendant and servant and a minister, if you will, in a governmental sense to Moses. He was also a military leader. In fact, he was the one who was leading the army to victory over the Amalekites. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 17. He was there at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses received the law from the Lord on the holy mountain. And he was nearby the tent of meeting when, when Moses would go into that tabernacle to meet with God. In other words, he was an eyewitness to the Mosaic history and a right-hand man to the greatest leader in human history to that point, it could be argued. He was, as I mentioned also, along with Caleb, among the 12 spies who went to spy out Canaan. And he and Caleb were the only two who said, the Lord is with us, even though there are giants in that land and there are huge obstacles and there will be bloody battles. God is with us and we can take it. The 10 other spies didn't believe that. They lacked that faith. Joshua was a man of faith. Joshua was a man who reveals to us a precursor to, a foreshadowing of what we often call in theology a type of Jesus Christ. In fact, they have essentially the same name. Joshua's name in Hebrew, Yahashua, is the same name that Jesus had. Jesus is the Greek form of that name. It means salvation comes from God. Salvation is of Yahweh. And not only did they have the same name, but many of the attributes that we recognize in Jesus Christ are on demonstration and display in Joshua. Joshua was not sinless and he was not divine, but in many ways he reveals to us the character of Christ even before the incarnation. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua actually encounters the angel of the Lord. And that signal phrase is used repeatedly in the Old Testament, often at times when 
Many theologians would suggest, and I consider myself among those, that the one who is being encountered is in fact Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus, a, a, a um, manifestation of Jesus before the incarnation with the birth of Bethlehem. And in that time, there is uh, a charge given uh, to, to Joshua, but we will come to that in the moment. First, there's a command from the Lord. In Joshua chapter one, we are told that the people of Israel are walking on holy ground when they walk into the promised land because they are walking with the Lord in his promise. Every place that the sole of their foot shall tread, the Lord has given to them. Would that you and I would walk our world in that sense, not in some kind of imperialistic and vain attitude, but rather thinking of ourselves as wearing the preparation of the gospel of peace on our feet, if you remember from our sermon series on the armor of the Lord, think about carrying the good news of God everywhere you go and proclaiming the promise of God everywhere you step. This also means walking in the things of the Lord, living by his holy word, and believing that word, proclaiming it, taking risks because you believe that the word calls you to stand by faith in risky territory. The place of promise is holy because the one who promised is holy and he is there present to sanctify, to make it holy. Abraham Lincoln at the Battle of Gettysburg said, we come to consecrate this ground, but actually it's already been consecrated. By what? By the blood of the people who died on it. This table is consecrated by the blood of the one who died on the cross for you and I. And as you and I plead that blood and apply that blood to every place that the sole of our foot treads, you and I consecrate this world to Christ. Wherever we go in faithful obedience to God's call, we have holy power to achieve and proclaim his victory. Pastor and theologian P.G. Matthews framed this charge from the Lord, that they were to walk in faith into the promise as covenant living in community. That's what the book of Joshua is really about. That's what PCF is about. That's what every local body of Jesus Christ is to be about. Covenant living in community, living together as a community of people who are living according to the promise of God and the promise we make to one another to be unified in him and to serve each other in him. And he delineated six biblical imperatives for covenant living. Be governed by spiritual rather than material considerations. Put relationships above riches. Recognize that violating covenant is an offense to God. So keep your word even when it's costly, even when it's painful. And make every effort to maintain the unity of community among believers. On an Independence Day weekend, it seems worthy to me to remind those of us living in this nation of the United States that united we stand, but divided we fall. That doesn't mean we all have to agree, but we should look for unity. We should pray for harmony, and we should endeavor to be bridge builders and peacemakers. And as people of Jesus Christ, we are to love one another in the community as well as loving our enemies. Now then, in Joshua chapter 2, they move into the place of challenge because they walk 
into Jericho. First, there are just, once again, spies to see what this major city that they are to capture is going to be about. And in doing so, they encounter a woman named Rahab, a prostitute and an innkeeper who lives in the wall of the city. And she says, we know God is with you. We've heard about your other victories. And so I want to be on the side of God. I want to be on the side of righteousness. And so she makes provision for these spies who are under the threat of death as they are in that enemy city. She hides them in her home. She puts out a rope so that they can escape. And they tell her, leave that scarlet rope in your window as a sign, like the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives. So the red rope of hope in Rahab's window was a sign that she belongs to the Lord. And they said, because of that, there will be safety for you. But not only that, But because of Rahab, there was safety for them. So that Rahab's rope that not only let the spies out, also brought in the people of God into the promise. A people who ultimately would be those that gave birth to, if you will, Jesus the Messiah. We asked ourselves at that point in the series last year, What does that mean for us? How can I be a Rahab in my world? It isn't by being somebody that's admired uh, and respected because of your position. That's fine if you have that, but recognize that if you feel like you're not somebody special or you've got a background or a history that maybe you're a little ashamed of, consider Rahab the prostitute who nevertheless put her trust in, in God and put herself at risk. So we ask ourselves, how can I help others? What can I do today to let out the rope of hope to others? Give somebody else a hand up. Give somebody else, if you can't give them a handshake in these days, at least a wave of your hand. And maybe you can even give them a handout. Something that would be helpful in the name of the Lord and in the name of Jesus Christ. That's part of possessing the promise. When all the people were called to go into the land... They had to cross over the Jordan, which was at flood stage. And though the waters were high and dangerous and treacherous, the Lord said, there's a way. My covenant will go before you. The priests were to carry the ark into the water, and then the waters were to stop. The waters stopped so that the people could go through. There was a consecration that they had to do before that. They had to get ready. All the people had to be purified. In fact, there was a re-circumcising of all the males because that entire generation that had been brought up by the people of God had not been circumcised according to the word of the Lord. The point is, they had not themselves been committed to the covenant, but they had to make that commitment. You and I cannot continue to stand on past generations if we are to be the Joshua generation of today. God calls us to make our own cut of faith, to shed our own blood of faith. In other words, God calls us to make the sacrifices that show that we believe him for us today. Not just what our parents did, not just what prior generations did, but what we will do today to demonstrate that we are ready to purify ourselves in the Lord so that we can participate in his promise and commemorate for future generations his covenant. We have to do that together. Each one of us individually, but all of us together. Because the actions of one affect the actions of all, as we will see in just a moment. 
In Joshua 5, we saw once again that the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the visitation of this angel of the Lord was a demonstration of God's faithfulness to be with his people. God is ready to fight for his will for you. He is ready to fight for his promise to be brought into your life and for your worship of him to bring down every wall. In Joshua chapter 6, we saw the walls of Jericho fall when the people of God followed his descriptions to them, which only involved worship. They weren't to to, uh, raise their weapons, but rather to raise their voices, to raise their trumpets and worship the Lord, walking around the walls seven days, seven times on the seventh day, and then with a mighty trumpet blast, the walls came down. That's not a way that any earthly general would expect to take a victory. And sometimes God calls you and I to do things where you feel like we're not doing anything at all. How does it help to pray or to sing worship when there are so many problems in the world to be dealt with? It helps because you're calling upon the name of the Lord. It helps because you're living in the spirit of worship. It helps because God is good and God brings down walls when you and I walk in his ways. Every wall of debt, of disease, of depression, of distress, of divorce, of discouragement, of division, of disunity, of discord, of death. Every wall is brought down by worshiping the Lord and by the life of the Lord who rolled back the stone of the tomb to reveal a new birth of life for you and I. I mentioned that the actions of one affect everybody. Remember the story of Achan who took a little bit of what was supposed to be given over totally to God, a little bit of the plunder that came out of a battle, and thought that he could hide it under his tent, hide it in his home, and benefit from it dishonestly and disobediently. But God sees all. And it's important to remember now, especially when many of us are in our homes working, if you're in that situation, or maybe out of work and at home, or in a place where... Oversight is not quite what it once was because your workplace is maybe uh, stretched thin or lowly populated or whatever the circumstance might be. It might be tempting to think, well, right now nobody's really looking and I can do some things. But God sees and you and I can't hide from him what we are doing or even what we are thinking. And God is not mocked. What we are thinking, what we are speaking What we are doing is what we are sowing, and what we sow will grow. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap death from the flesh. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap from the Spirit. Because Achan stole that which was called to be given over to God, there was defeat. In the first battle for Ai, there was a failure. But when Achan's sin was revealed by the Lord, and the people of Israel put him to death, as was the penalty for his sin, as he well knew when he did it, there was a purging from their midst. The action of one affected everybody, and the action of everybody affected the one. But when they worked together to be faithful to the Lord, then there was a victory where there had been a defeat. There's a second chance. So no matter how many times you and I may have failed in our lives, remember, 
God gives second chances. Here at this table are second chances. And in fact, we need to come to this table or this table is going to come to us. So let me press ahead quickly. As I mentioned, these slides are on the website, so you can look at them in more detail. But let me try and conclude here our review. In Joshua chapter 9, there was the time when the people of Israel failed to consult with God first. And so there were Gibeonites that God had said, you are to be victorious over them and you are to take their territory and you them out. But instead of consulting with the Lord about that, Israel figured, we know what we're doing, we've got this. And the Gibeonites, who were clever, crafty people, disguised themselves, made it look like they had traveled from a far distant land and came to Joshua and the Israelites and said, look, we see how mighty and powerful you are. We want to make a peace covenant with you. We want to make a treaty that you can't break. And so, without even seeking the Lord, they made the covenant and then later discovered these people had tricked them. They were right there in the land but because they had to be true to their word, they kept the covenant. And the Gibeonites continued to live among the Israelites, although they lived as servants in their midst. But the lesson was, seek the counsel of God first. Otherwise, you might get pulled into other battles. And in fact, that's what happens. The uh, people of Israel have to go to battle against a coalition of kings who are fighting not Israel, but the Gibeonites. And because they made this treaty, they go into battle for them. It's one of the most significant episodes in the Old Testament or in all of human history. Joshua prays to the Lord that the, the Lord would not only give them victory, but that he would cause the sun to stand still in the sky so that the day would be extended so that the victory could be complete. It might seem impossible, and in fact it is, but the impossible is possible for God. As Jesus himself said, all things are possible for the one who believes. If you and I will believe even what God says to us that it seems unbelievable, if it comes from the mouth of God, if it comes from the word of God, if it comes through the spirit of God, believe it and you can achieve the undeniable when God is fighting on your behalf. In the final chapters of this first half of the book, we saw Israel begin to enter into the rest of the land. They brought down those high and mighty kings that had joined forces to try and oppose them. And they entered into a time of rest and renewal and of bringing forth the promise. So, 10 lessons from the Joshua generation. As I go over these, you'll see these blank spots on your uh, bulletin and you may be able to fill them if you haven't already. I'm also going to ask if those who are distributing the communion elements would do so as we look at these last 10 uh, or the summary of 10 lessons. You at home have your communion ready. We're going to take it in just a moment. 10 lessons from the Joshua generation that I want you and I to carry with us as we move into the last half of this book. 10 lessons from the first half. Be courageous in God's call. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Hang on to hope. In God's promise. When God has said something, you can be sure that he will do it. Even if it tarries. Even if it seems, as some people would account it, that God is moving slowly. Don't be afraid and don't give up. God's always right on time. Remain committed, not only to Christ, but to the community of Christ. 
Your participation here on these days, at some risk to yourself, is part of your commitment. You who are streaming with us live online and you continue to set this time apart to give your offering from afar and to stream with us through the internet, that's part of your commitment and we value and thank you for it. You who are watching or recording, but you regularly, weekly, make that a part of your activity to participate with this body and you not only issue your prayers with us and for us, but also your giving to the house of the Lord, You are part of that community commitment and we thank you for it. Let's all remain committed to one another, being patient with one another, showing love to one another, sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron in the word of the Lord so that you and I would take our stand in the ways of God. May I remind you of what Paul says in Ephesians, having done all, stand. Stand in the place of God's promise. Stand on the sure foundation of God's word and then advance in worship. Listen, you and I need to be saying thank you to God regularly. You and I need to be offering up our gratitude to God regularly. And if you're not in the place where you feel like you can do that, that simply reveals that you're not in the place where you're thinking about God, about his past faithfulness, about his present promise about his future presence, how he goes with you. But if you'll read this word regularly, daily, if you'll worship the Lord, turn on that worship music and sing it in your car, sing it in your home, sing it with your kids. If you will participate in the gathering of the community of Christ, if you'll worship with your giving, even when things are limited and resources are tight because you believe that God provides, you'll find joy You'll have gratitude. You'll be worshiping. And you'll have victory. Remember, God sees all. Um, Pastor Henji, can I ask you to help with the distribution? And uh, Brother Bong, would you mind helping with the distribution of the communion elements? These, this cup and uh, bread is going to come to you. And as it does so, remember everything you've done Everything you've said, everything you've thought since the last time you took communion is known to God. Does that make the hair rise on the back of your neck a bit? It does for me. Not everything I've said, done, and thought since then has been good. Oh, no. I sin. I falter. I get angry. I can be lustful. I can be lazy. I can be depressed. I can be irritable. I'm selfish. I'm a sinner like you. And I know that God sees it. That doesn't excuse it. This does. This blood, this bread, a cup of a new covenant, a piece of his body. This is going to have to be taken around and each one will draw from it. So if you just take the plates and... God sees all But God is a God of second chances. And if ever there was evidence of that, it is the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. He didn't die on the cross for himself. He died for everything he saw in you and me of sin. That's why he died. And he didn't die just to pay for that sin. He died to purify us from all of its results. Whatever you sow, that you shall reap. 
You and I sowed sin and we had death ready for us. But Jesus took that death upon himself and gave us a second chance. Now here in our hands is life. Forgiveness of every wrong that you and I have thought, said, or done. Ever. We are called to always seek first God's way, God's will, God's word. And for you and I, that includes today, repenting of our sin and renewing our commitment to him and believing that with God, all things are possible. Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Do you feel that you can't be forgiven? Do you feel that there's someone that you can't forgive? Is there something broken in your life that can't be fixed? Some debt that can't be paid? Some death that can't be turned around? Don't look just with eyes of flesh at what's possible in the world of men and women. Live by the Spirit and believe for what's possible in God. Worship the Lord with your faith. Reverence him in repentance. Rely on him for renewal and trust him for everything else, for all the rest. You open the top portion which holds the bread. On that night that he was betrayed and gave himself freely over for us, Jesus sat with his disciples He lifted up the bread and giving thanks to God. He said, this is my body broken for you. That in the brokenness of Jesus Christ, we can be made whole. There's so many things wrong. There's only one that is right. But he is right here, right now right for you and he's saying I'll make you right in me I'll put your feet on the right path I'll show you the right way do you believe that then receive it Lord we receive this bread of your body as redemption for our sin he lift the cup that held the blood of the vine the juice of grapes. And he said, this cup is a cup of a new covenant, a new beginning. It wasn't a new promise. It was for new people. The newness of the covenant is not that it is a new promise. It is the same promise because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Paul said to the Ephesians, so I remind you that the mystery of God has already been laid out the blueprint from the beginning. And that is that you and I would be new people, that we would be born again, washed from our sins, united to our Lord, united to our brothers and sisters, and made ready for the promise. This cup is a cup of harvest. It's a new beginning today for you and me in Jesus Christ. If you've never given your heart to him or if you've been turned away from him and you know 
you can sense right now he's calling you back. Today is the day. And even if you've been walking with him faithfully, I'm sure like me, you can say, I've slipped, I've stepped off the path, I've sinned, I've stumbled. Friend, it's a new beginning today. It's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's cup. It's the Lord's work to make you right with him. Lord, we confess our sin. And we ask, Lord, that you would receive us fully into your presence and fill us fully by your spirit. Cleanse us fully by your blood. And Lord, empower us fully by your word to stand fully on your promise as your people, people called by your name. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us, for loving us, and for leading us on. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. That's our service for today. I thank you for being with us. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and in all things give you peace. I pray that the Lord would encourage you, renew you, and reveal to you his new and living way, a better way to live each day in worship to the Lord. Next week, we will continue in Joshua. On Wednesday, we will be with you in our Zoom prayer meeting. And all the time, we are together in the Spirit because the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And in Him, you and I live and move and have our being. Be blessed in Him, church. God bless you. Amen.